We really uh, enjoy our time of worship at Freedom. We enjoy our time of uh, uh, being able to engage with Him in the Word, and we enjoy our time of fellowship. So please stay around for our picnic on the grounds. Whether you brought anything or not, we have plenty of food, so don't worry. Don't let that stop you. So um, just uh, excited about our continuation. At the beginning of the year, our real focus is to help you in the area of discipleship. And so we, uh, we started that with three weeks, which in today, uh, for those of you that are, um, fasting and praying, um, that ends today. And then, so the next thing we want to talk about today is what it means to really encounter God as you pursue Him and as He pursues you. And so, uh, it's certainly our hope that during your time of prayer, that you got some answers that you really have been asking God about. And uh, that is his desire to always be clear with us, to always share his heart with us. And so in that first week on prayer, we talked about us talking to God. And the second week, we uh, talked about us hearing from God. And um, the thing that we're going to move into beginning next week is us talking about God. You know, sometimes we don't really know how to bring up God in a conversation. And so we have a panel discussion of eight people who are going to be giving you their unique ways on how they talk about God, how they share God, whether it's the plan of salvation or they're bringing it up to somebody who doesn't really know that God holds the answers to life. Beyond just salvation, and that's a big one, but also in their day-to-day lives. And so you won't want to miss next week. That's going to be really powerful. I love uh, pulling multiple voices out of our congregation and being you get a chance to hear them. But now as we move into our area uh, of discipleship today, we're going to be talking about the pursuit. His pursuit of you and your pursuit of him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for meeting with us already. I thank you for cleansing us with the words that we sang to you, O God. I pray that the meditations of our heart were pleasing to you. I pray, Father, that some of those areas that we felt challenged in, we speak them and sing them prophetically, that they will come to pass if they're not in our life right now. And so, God, we come right now and desire to hear fully from your word, O oh God, about your amazing pursuit of us, your pursuit for salvation, your pursuit for freedom from addictions and problems, your pursuit that we may join you on what is important to your heart. God, we, we want to pursue you. And we want to also, Lord, hear about the benefits about your pursuit of us. And so, Lord, we lay this before you. I ask that you would open our hearts, O Holy Spirit, that we would not just listen with our natural ears, but that we will have hearts to hear from you. And I thank you that you don't want your will to be a mystery. You want to be clear. And so, God, we want to be focused on our attention toward you. So we are all in. And we ask, Almighty God, that you would help us that we may hear from you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, God's word reveals a lot about 
his pursuit of us, his great love for us, his character for us. It reveals that he doesn't want anybody to perish, even though we have this problem. And the problem is that we have broken connection with him by not keeping his standards. He is a holy God. He is separate from us, his creation. And so he wants us to walk as he has asked us to, which is to be holy, and we haven't. And so we have violated his standards, and that's what the Bible calls sin. And because of that, we needed some way to get reconnected. And so he sent his son, Jesus, to leave an amazing place in heaven and came to earth as a man, fully man too, and lived, he lived a perfect life. And because he lived that perfect life, he was able to yield his life, to sacrifice his life. And we were able to enjoy his righteousness, and he took our sin, the great exchange. And that's an amazing thing. And we see in Romans 5, 8, uh, it says, But God demonstrates, he doesn't talk about, he demonstrates. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died for our sins. And, and, and to some of you um, who might be walking in shame of sins that maybe you committed this morning, he knew about that ahead of time. He knew about that. He, he died for your sins, for your reconnection to him. He died for your sins that you might walk in fellowship with him today. Yes. He died for your sins. Amen. He reveals that he pursues for us. He pursues us. And he cares for us like a shepherd cares for their sheep. Now, in the day that this was all written, that was clear as clear can be. But maybe to us who haven't been around sheep, that's not as clear. Sheep are interesting animals. They, they aren't loners. They, they kind of stay together. But they, they need to be led. They need to be cared for. And from God's perspective, who is all-powerful, all-knowing, we need to be cared for, too. And so, probably one of the most famous psalms that has ever been written by King David uh, is Psalms 23. And I just want to look at it freshly from the eyes of a caring God who is pursuing his sheep, who is pursuing us. Let's read this. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. The Lord, the king of the universe, the creator, the sustainer of the air in our lungs. The one who says, beat heart, beat. That one, the sustainer of life. He is our shepherd. He is the one who cares and leads us. I lack nothing. I lack nothing. This is what David's saying. I lack nothing. David had a very broad life. A, bright, uh, a life of nothingness. A life of attacks upon his, his very being and those that he cared for. 
And yes, he had kingship, and that's kind of what we look at, but he had a very broad life that encompassed a lot of things. He needed the care of God, and he said, I lack nothing. Verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Sometimes we need to lie down and we don't feel like lying down. We're running fast. We're doing our thing. We don't realize we need to lie down. We need to get with Him. We need to rest. We need to be refreshed. He makes us sometimes do things like that. I know there are many times uh, I kind of laugh and then I get mad all at the same time. I laugh at myself because when I get sick, it's like I have to stop. I don't like stopping, you know, but I have to stop. And I laugh because I think, okay, I should have done this on my own. I didn't, so you make me now, you know. So he makes us lie down in green pastures, not ordinary pastures. If you've been to, um, if you've been to Israel, I've been there a couple times, and when you go and you see shepherds on the side of the hills, it's not always green pastures. It, it's, it's, a, it's not always that way. And so he's leading where he knows that he can find provision for you. And so if we want that provision, that nourishment, that sustenance, we need to follow the leader. And that's what he says. He leads us down in green... He makes us lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters, and sometimes we need quiet waters. Sometimes life is going so fast... um, It's not quiet. We can't get our wits about us. He leads us by quiet waters. He refreshes my soul, your life. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. Um, I need guidance. I, I am not short on initiative. I am not short on work ethic. I, I can get at it. But you know what? It's the one thing about getting at it and getting at it in the right direction, on the right path that produces the right fruit with the right people around me. That's a different animal. He guides us. Do you need guidance? I mean, I do. I need guidance. It says in verse 4, even though, there are those even though times, even though, I walk through the darkest valley. I will fear no evil, for you are with me, and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And we go through some pretty sunless places. We go through some places that we don't have a whole lot of illumination. They seem pretty dark. But if I'm with him, and I'm staying close enough to him that I can follow him, you know, you can be in a very dark place, But if you stay close enough to your leader who does know where he's going, you can make it. So maybe you're in a dark place today. Maybe you've gone through some depression. Maybe you've gone through some discouragement. Maybe you're disoriented because you don't really, you've tried a bunch of different things and you're not sure what's working, if anything. A dark place, he's there. I will fear no evil. Sometimes when you're in dark places, there's a lot of fear. When you're in a dark place um, and you don't know what's in front of you, uh, there can be some fear. And that can happen um, in a lot of places, but emotionally, 
Sometimes you go through some dark places and there's some fear that's going on. He says, I will fear no evil, even though I'm in darkness. For you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Rod, protection, staff, guidance, comfort. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And I'm going to stop there for a second. I always thought that was odd. Can you just imagine, here's a massive battle going on. And the way they, you, you, you have to think kind of Revolutionary War and earlier. Um, you had two giant sides of armies and they, they stacked up against each other and then they did something crazy, they ran at each other. <laughs> that was called war. And that's what they did. And so, that was the methodology that the wars were were fought in. And so here we are at war and my side's here and the battling side's here and you're going to make me a nice little table. And we're going to sit down and we're going to eat. Yeah, right. But this is what he says. It doesn't matter what's going on around you. I will prepare a table before you. I will make a way before you. I don't care what's going on because I am God. He is God. I mean, he's not like an ordinary person walking alongside. I'm not walking with you. I would have a little concern if I was the one protecting you, right? But you know what? Not so many amens over here, please. (laughs) You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. You know, in those days, it was very customary to bring some olive oil and to anoint somebody's head who's been out and about, and now they're at your house, and you anoint their head with oil. And oil is... uh, very much in Scripture talked about as the Holy Spirit. And so here's the Holy Spirit. He's coming and he's, he's bringing the Holy Spirit to you and your cup is running over. Your cup is your life. I could use my life overflowing with the Holy Spirit. I need my life overflowing with Holy Spirit. I need what He brings. And so he brings this cup overflowing. In verse 6, we're going to end here. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There is a goodness which we sang about today. There is a goodness of God that we sang about today. It will follow. It will pursue me. The goodness of God, the love of God, pursue me. I mean, it's like, you know, if you've, if you've been in the ocean and you're at the beach and, and you know, you're, there's just a constant onslaught as you're walking in the waves of the waves coming after you. That constant pursuit of wave after wave after wave. God is relentless. He is relentless. He is a pursuer who is relentless. And I could go on about our wonderful God and His pursuit of us, His compassion toward us and his power to help us which changes everything so when we have God when we have yielded ourselves to God and he has his proper place in our life our lives have meaning our lives have value our lives have significance because of the purposes he's placed upon us 
These are the things that happen because of his pursuit and our knowledge that he is pursuing us. And so if God is pursuing us, what should our response be toward him? What should our response be toward him? We need to pursue him above all other worthy opportunities. We have lots of opportunities. We have lots of opportunities. We have opportunities for that limited resource we call our time. It's the only thing we really own in life. I've kind of figured that out. I don't know if you figured that out yet. But there's really only one thing you own in life, and that is your time. And I'm sure you can come up with some other thing, and that's fine. But get the point. The point is, our time is a precious, limited thing that he has placed on Stan, on Sheila, on Sean. He's, here is your time. What are you going to do with it? That time is, is key. And the older you get, the more you realize you have a limited time. It's a hard thing as a, a young person maybe to value that. But we need to pursue him above all other worthy opportunities. I have an opportunity to play a, spe- a special video game because I'm over at so-and-so's house and they have it and I don't. So I have a, uh, these opportunities. I have an opportunity to go and do this or go and do that. And I'm not saying that the games or anything are wrong. I'm just saying we have limited time with opportunities, and some of that should be given toward pursuing Him. Success in life involves people seeing the right goals, walking in the right direction with the right people I mentioned, and God is very aware of the seasons of our life. Some of you are in the season of singleness, uh, some of you in the season of uh, education, some of you in the single of your first child, which, by the way, uh, Kristen Martin is in the hospital right now, and I guess she's going to have... Has she had it yet? No. Stacy's keeping tabs. Um, she hasn't had uh, her child yet, but you know what? This is our... Uh, this, this thing of being new to life, like Kristen's child, is going to grow up and be able to do a whole lot of things, but they only have a child going to an adult only has a limited time to get to know God, to find the freedom he offers, to discover why they were invented, and to make a difference in this world. And so our best thing that we need to do is to evolve ourselves, not just in the wrong things. Most of you know right and wrong. Okay? But involve ourselves in the best things that God has called us to do. Sometimes the enemy of the best, in fact, I find it's usually, is the good. There's lots of good things. I have to uh, establish my values. I'm a big talker on this. I think it's important what you value. If you've never taken the time and say, what is really important to me? What do I value? Okay, I value my wife. I value my children, grandchildren. I value the church, I value my friendships, I value working hard, I value um, uh, preparing for later in life and, and saving some money, I value, and you fill in the blanks of your values. They're all there, and they're all, we, we can't deny them, they're all there. Now, where we prioritize them matters, and then here's the big one I've discovered. When two good values clash, what do you do? You know what you need? 
the discernment of God. They're both good values. I mean, I, I, I really care about my wife. I really care about the church. I really care about um, doing some reading. I, I really care about the... But when they clash, what do you choose? And that's a constant day in, day out, hour in, hour out decision. We need the discernment of God on that. And if we don't make some decisions on how we're going to deal with these values, then we start, instead of doing the best thing that God has for us, we start doing the things that are good and acceptable. And we go through life living an acceptable way. It's acceptable by other people. It's acceptable by me. I call that mediocre. And we live in what we call the world of good enough. Good enough becomes your acceptable norm. Is that really what God wants for a disciple that bears his name? I don't think it is. Good enough is not, is not your calling. I'll just tell you that right now. I don't know all y'all's calling. But I do know this. It's not good enough. It goes beyond good enough. God wants more for that for us. And so what does it mean to pursue the Lord so that I can discover how to distinguish between these things? What does it mean to go after God? What does it mean to follow Him? And once I discover what it means for me right now at this season of my life, I'm throwing in season because where I'm at in my life is different than where you're at. It's not just occupationally. it's, It's... how old I am, it's the opportunities I have, the opportunities you have. There are different things. But once we discover what pursuing Him is all about for you, how do we realign our focus and our actions? How do we line up with what He has for us? And so, what I've concluded in my short journey of life is that I need to move forward in a way that honors Him every hour of the day. Every hour is a new decision. It's one of the things I like about day timers and Franklin Covey systems or whatever your time management thing is. You can look at what you did and you can say, hmm, was that good or not? Did I waste too much time there or whatever? Jesus told His disciples to follow me. Paul said, do as I do. Not that he's somebody all that great, but he's trying to walk a Christ-like life. And if we're trying to walk a Christ-like life, we ought to be able to say, hey, do it like I'm doing it. That's what the Lord is looking for from his disciples. It's called being an authentic Christian. It's moving past being um, a Christian in name only. Jesus told a parable in Matthew 13, 44. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Question. Have you found that treasure? 
Have you found that treasure? Have you found that relationship with Jesus Christ? Have you found that treasure of Him as your Savior and Lord? Lord means leader. Has He become that? If you found it, this guy went and sacrificed all his other accumulations... Get the point of what I'm saying. Don't, don't jump in the detail. He sacrificed everything he had and said, I'm going to sell it all and I'm going to go buy this one thing because it has so much value. The point is this. If we've really discovered that Jesus is the creator and Lord of life and he wants to have a relationship with me that goes beyond just a checkbox for salvation and it goes into discipleship and following Him and the power and leadership of the Holy Spirit, if we discover that, then there should be a pursuit of getting with Him and hearing what He has to say, at the minimum. Then we have another decision. I heard Him. What am I going to do with what I heard? I believe that... uh, It starts with valuing the right things. I don't do anything that I think... I shouldn't say it that way. Um, I do do things that I don't value because I'm tired and it's an easy way to go. (laughs) But we need to do things that we really value. We We need to let that value rise up and become part of our priorities of following Him. Because then when that happens, we walk into the ultimate blessing. Do I believe that what God has in His hand is more valuable than what I have in my hand? Do we? Because if I really believe what He has in His hand is more valuable than what I have in my hand, then I will seek what's in His hand. And if I think that I have something of great value because I know this, I do this every day, it brings me somewhat acceptable results, it's good enough. And if, I, and if that's the value, because I know it's known, right? We like to go to what's known. Because if that's known, and I pursue this all the time, I drift this way. Now, what makes me stop and start drifting this way? Pursuing him and seeing things from his perspective. If I pursue him and see him th- things from his perspective, then I will choose this route. If I don't pursue him and understand things from his perspective, I'll choose my norm. And it's not going to yield the best results. So, God really wants to bring ultimate blessing to us. And there is a proper balance. Please, please hear what I'm trying to say and not what, I'm, not what you think I might be saying. I am not saying sell everything and spend all your time down here at the church. I am not saying that. I'm not saying God's calling you to Africa. He may be. I don't know. Is he calling me to Asia? I don't know. He may be. But the point I'm trying to say is that we're all in with God. Anybody that's accomplished anything great has to have that all-in attitude. I'm going for it. I'm going for it. Now, Grant and Caden, would you stand up?
They love this when you do this to them. They just love it. So they're on the same flag football team. And if you don't know what flag football is, there's a, there's a belt around your waist and you have a, a little flag that dangles on both sides and instead of tackling the person, you pull the flag. And so they're on the same team. And so they understand, the beauty of, of football is you understand pursuit. And so, um, and whether it's per, on offense, pursuing that good pass, which Grant is excellent at doing, um, he, he's looking for that opening in that defense, and he's pursuing somebody with his eyes that he's going to throw that ball to. He knows who he's supposed to, but that person may not be open. And he makes a decision, and then he throws it. And by pursuing, he's actively looking and focusing. He finds his spot. Or if Caden is on the defense, and he's on the opposite side of the field... He's not, he's watching the ball, but he's watching what's happening around him. And he suddenly realizes the play is going to the other side of the field. He has a choice. Not my responsibility, it's not my side of the field. Or he can say, something's happening there. I'm going to head that way. And he pursues and he runs as fast as he can to intercept. And he gets the flag. Thanks, guys. You can sit down. Um, Pursuit. Pursuit is key in any area of life. Any mom, any dad who's really trying to pursue raising great kids, they'd go to that extra effort. I mean, in that illustration on the defense, Caden says, I don't know if I can catch that kid or not, but I'm going for it. And so I don't know where this story will end up for you, but let's don't fail because we're not going for it. I mean, we can fail for a whole lot of reasons, but let's not fail for lack of trying and lack of going after it, especially when the, the opportunities are so great. So, Pat, you don't understand. I've got a lot of roles and responsibilities that I am responsible for. I have to get up early. I've got to get to work. I work late. I come back. I see my wife and kids, um, and um, my life is full, and um, I, I really, I don't know how that pursuit thing works in my life. Okay. I understand roles and responsibilities. I've, I've had a lot of roles and responsibilities. I don't say this in any way. I'm just, this is, this is my, has been my life. Either I've run a lot of newspapers, back when there were newspapers, and I, I was responsible for lots of people, hundreds of people. And I, I'm responsible. I understand that responsibility. I under, understand the responsibility when I had five employees also. The responsibility. I understand what it's like to be responsible for a church, all y'all. I understand what's responsible for my wife, for my kids, for my finances. I understand responsibilities. But you know what? Your roles and responsibilities should never outweigh your flexibility in hearing and responding to the prompting of God. Reese, can you put that, that up? Your roles and responsibilities should never outweigh 
your flexibility in hearing and responding to the promptings of God. I got to tell you, um, we make a, a plan on how our day is going to go, right? I mean, most of us. And then there's an interruption. And I'll tell you the situation that happens with God. Normally, he's interrupting our plan. We have a way that that day is supposed to go. And all of a sudden, here's an opportunity. But, it's, but you recognize it in your heart. It happens real briefly. You've got to have it last longer. It happens real uh, briefly that suddenly you recognize, oh, this is a God opportunity, but I don't have time, or I this or I that. And I will just say, if you've read the New Testament through, or the Gospels rather, and you're reading in the Gospels, so much of what happened in Jesus' life that's recorded for us was while he's on the way somewhere. He's on his way to somewhere, and all of a sudden you hear about this blind man being healed in the path. You know, so, uh, and I've discovered in my life, a lot of what happens isn't at the event, like right here, now. It's the the on-the-way stuff. And so if you don't let God interrupt your on-the-ways, and I understand we can label them distractions, or we can label them God opportunities. We can label them as... Um, something out of the norm, or we can label them as a God appointment. I didn't know there was going to be a God appointment. You should have told me earlier in the day, Lord. But he doesn't. And so what happens is, as we're pursuing him, and pursuing knowing him, and pursuing him and his word, and in friendships with one another here within this church, as we're doing life, he reveals these things. And do have any of my roles or responsibilities change? No. But I, I, I got to be careful never to say no to a God-initiated opportunity. And how do I know that? I, I have discernment. Well, how do you have that discernment? I spend more time with God. I spend time. I, I'm in His Word. I'm praying. I'm talking to Him. I'm listening to Him. I give Him time to talk back to me. That is when we hear, and then we build discernment in our hearts. And that's how we know, okay, this is an opportunity. I'm going to come back to that one because I think right now I need to go fulfill over here. Okay, no problem. No problem. But don't forget to come back over here. So, what are some things that hold us back in really pursuing God? There's probably several. I'm going to boil it down to just three that I'm going to pick and talk about real briefly. The first one is not valuing this whole God pursuit. Not valuing pursuing God at the correct value level. You have not placed it at the value it really deserves. Yeah, yeah, I should pursue God. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah isn't the same as, okay, Lord, I'm going to pursue you. This is a value and priority of my life that I'm going to make it happen because it's important to you. There are things I do in my life that I really don't want to do, but they're important to Sheila, so I do them. I value her. So it's important to her, 
uh, to, you know, I mean, to me, what does it matter if I miss the hamper with my socks? I mean, they're close enough, right? I mean, but to her, they got to be inside. Okay. So, you know, it's important to her. To me, it was close enough. You know, um, I could give you a lot of those, but I'll just stay focused. Don't get distracted, Pat. Don't get distracted. I need to value things the way God values them. And if I'm not, I haven't placed the same value level that God would. And this pursuit of God is key. The second thing, not recognizing the benefits that you're missing. You just really don't know what you're missing. You think you do, but you don't. I mean, seeing God do something in somebody's marriage who's having a hurt marriage and being able to take the time when you don't have the time. Uh, let me just interrupt what I'm saying here. I interrupt myself when I talk all the time. Uh, so what I've discovered is if I will do what's on God's mind, he will take care of what's on mine. He, he just does. Now, that doesn't mean I'm irresponsible. I still work on it. I still come back to it. But if I will take care of what's on his heart, my stuff just seems to happen. It just, it just does. And so I would say that I need to value things at the way that he does. I, I believe very much in um, progressive following God. What does that look like? Turn out all the lights, block up the windows in the back. This is a dark place in here. Light a little um, birthday candle. Puts out just a little bit of light, right? Three feet, maybe. All I can see is three feet. God gives us that light. And as you step to the outside of the three feet that you have, the three feet expands. And expands again. And that's how I walk with God. It's called a walk of faith. I don't always have all the answers or see what's going on. Sorry. may need to find a different pastor. I don't. But I can see the three feet. My responsibility is to be obedient to walk to the edge of the three feet. My responsibility is to take the risk of faith to walk to the three feet edge. And God exposes the next three feet. That's called a walk of faith. And it happens in a lot of ways. It happens in, in trying to figure out what you should do in your day. It happens in your journey on figuring out your career. Uh, it happens also in walk with God in the supernatural. I remember praying for people and looking at the Word. And it says, lay hands on the sick and they will recover in, Matt, in uh, Mark 16. And I, I remember doing that and... Maybe the first time or two, it, it, nothing really happened. And then I started, well, Pat, are you just doing this mechanically or religiously because it says that? Or do you believe that because his word is always true? And are you going to say it in belief? And so I started doing that and started seeing God do miracles. Because I have seen a dozen people who are totally blind get sight. I have seen that. I have seen people who can't hear and they started hearing. There's one lady, um, she was uh, deaf in one ear from birth, a widow with five children, and 
she immediately got hearing in that ear. I put that on YouTube. I can give you that YouTube address. You can listen to her say it instead of me. Don't believe me. My point is this. I'm just starting to learn how to step to the edge of my three feet. My life is a three-foot deal. It's a three-foot walk. And he shows us the next thing. But if I don't value pursuing him in his word, he isn't going to show me anything more. Unless he just given me a grace or a mercy drop. Poof, Pat really needs one of these. Um, and then things, you know, I, I see what's next. So you may not recognize the benefits you're missing. And the benefits aren't always the good things. I, I've had some great benefits in his warnings. I'm going to preach on that someday. The blessing of a warning. God has given me warnings, and when I heeded the warning, I was able to avoid the problem. There is a blessing from warnings. Amen. So that, that's also a God benefit. But the third thing is where I want to spend our time for the next three hours. Um, the third obstacle is, with, is the biggest one that I know about for me, and it's passivity. Not engaging with the important. Um, I believe being passive is like a cancer that will eat your life alive. Um, recently, a couple Mondays ago, I wrote this. Replacing passivity toward God and the things of God is key to being a growing disciple of Jesus. Passivity can be a fatal disease at worst and a critical one at the least. Passivity toward God can lead to never being saved. Or if saved, the disease can lead to a total life ineffectiveness for the kingdom of God. Either way, outcomes are horrible. Most of the time, it can go undetected due to the measuring standards used by the world and other people with the disease around us. Passivity invites other diseases that compound the problem and lead to greater or faster downfalls in Christian health and God pursuit. These other conditions include, but are not limited to, misplaced priorities. Decline in spiritual sight and hearing God. Degraded intimacy and passion for either God or the ways of God. Or interactions with people in the church. With your most precious and unreplenishable resource, your time, the disease depletes this valuable one and only major gift of God. Passivity sucks life out of people. And it is never life-giving. There are guards available from getting the disease, and there are remedies from God if you are walking in it now. And unfortunately, I'm going to have to go the more of this later. But you get the point. Passivity is setting aside what you should do and replacing it with what is easier or maybe you even want to do. As I've said before, do what you don't want to do so you can become who you say you want to become. 
If you want to be a great athlete, you got to do what you don't want to do. Charlie, you, you worked on this discus throwing, and, and you, had to, you had to learn things that felt uncomfortable. I don't like how that feels, but this is the way it works best. And you had to do what you didn't want to do to get as good as you were. And, and some of you people who are walking in business ventures, you have to do what you don't want to do. I remember when I was building businesses years ago, I would give one evening a week to reading. And because I have to see what other people know that I don't know. I don't know what I don't know, right? So if I'm going to grow in this field, I need to do that. I don't want to read at night. I'm tired. But I had to do what I don't want to do to become who I say I want to become. And that works in the spirit realm too. That works in the spirit realm too. Passivity is the activity of not being purposeful. And I say that it's an activity or it's an action because the choice of doing nothing causes a result. You probably won't like it. Passivity is a cousin I've discovered to irresponsibility. If nothing forward moving is happening in your life, maybe you are being passive. Please don't take this as uh, something I'm saying about you. I have battled this disease of passivity all my life. And I'll keep battling it. Because we serve a mighty God and He will deliver you from the clutches of that. Without, If we are passive, we are not pursuing God. If I'm passive, I'm not pursuing a friendship with you. A relationship with you. I'm not praying for you by name. If I'm passive, because I have a lot to do anyway, I don't have time to pray for everybody, right? No, wrong. It's important. I place it as a value. It's a value. Anything less than that, I'm being passive. We have to engage this issue. You have to engage it head on. You have to say, be honest with yourself. I, I mean, I... The worst thing in the world is to lie to yourself, right? I mean, I hate it when other people lie to me. I really hate it when I lie to myself. Don't lie to yourself. Are you pursuing God? Let's put it a different way. Would God say you're pursuing Him? Would He say that you're valuing my word and going after me? Would He say you're valuing talking to me in prayer? Would He say you're talking to me, son or daughter, but you're not listening for me to speak back to you? Are, are you pursuing me with the, the relationships that I want you to invest in? I don't have any more time. Make time, Pat. Yeah, the only way to make time is to cut something else out. So, engage the issue. Passivity is like water. It always flows to the lowest place. Water always flows to the lowest place. Do I want my life to be defined with Jesus as Pat just got by. He just, he was saved. Or maybe he's the pastor. He, he, he prepares for his message and doesn't do anything with y'all during the week. Or maybe he does something with y'all and doesn't prepare for his message. Or, or, or. The point is, I don't want to be that lowest point disciple. Do you?
Because here's the thing about passivity. Unless you make a decision otherwise, you will be. Again, please, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to me as much as anything. Uh, Honesty, I've got to be brutally honest with myself or I don't change. I don't change unless I'm honest with myself. Because we're all creatures of habit, right? So I've got to change some of my habits. You've got to change some of your habits. It is just the way it goes. So if you're being passive toward pursuing God, you're missing out on some great blessings that he has. So what is to pursue? It's to go after. It's to hunt down God. It's to track down God. It's to reach beyond what is your norm. It's going after God. It's, I've got to go after and pursue Him. I'm not, he isn't going to... Unless He's just being gracious, He helps me out. That's called mercy. He just gives... Pat, you need some help. I'm just going to give you some mercy here. But don't I want to have a life that is more exemplified by receiving his grace than his mercy? What's the difference? Mercy, he's just like, oh, poor Pat, let me help him. Grace is, there's Pat, let me empower him. Grace is the power of God. If you want to send in him, think of the word power. Sometimes I just need his mercy. But he's ready and desirous of me saying, Pat, I want to give you my grace. And he wants to say it to you too. This isn't, this isn't just about me. This is about usins. We invented a word. Uh, Friday I emailed out to those on the church email list um, a little prayer point based on Matthew 5, 6. It said this. Jesus speaking, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Hunger and thirst. I'm looking forward to tomorrow morning to have breakfast. It's been 21 days. I'm looking forward to it. I know what hunger and thirst is. Hunger and and thirst after righteousness. You, there's a blessing that comes with hungering and thirsting after God and the things of God. There is, I mean, this is Jesus speaking, the red letters. Jesus speaking, I'm going to bless you when you display hunger and thirst after me and my ways. Yes. Do you crave following Jesus in obedience? An anticipation of a God encounter. Do you crave it? I didn't. You know how you crave it? You start liking it. First, you've got to go from, it's like Brussels sprouts. I don't really like Brussels sprouts. But the only way to crave Brussels sprouts is you start eating them. And then eventually, it's acceptable. And eventually, they're good. And eventually, you crave. So, what does it take for you to crave is starting, a beginning point. You just need to start somewhere. My wife, Sheila, has a wonderful uh, 
statement that she says sometime. She says, it's okay to be there, but it's not okay to stay there. And so sometimes we're just in a funk. We're, we're, we're not in a good place. We, we got some things going on and we know it and quite frankly everybody around us knows it. And it's okay to be there, but you cannot stay there. You can't stay there. And so what I ask God for sometimes is give me a seed of desire. Just give me a little bit of a desire. So that I can build on that, God. Maybe that's your prayer today. God, I I just seem to get by. I don't want to be that water going to the lowest point. I, I want to pursue you. I know that there's blessings the way that they're being illustrated. I know there's Holy Spirit blessings by me yielding and pursuing you. One of the words I put up there, Reese, could you put that last one back up? It's easier to crave the second part of this, anticipation of a God encounter. But what he wants us to do is also crave obeying him. You know, Jesus says in in John uh, 14, that if you, 15, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you want to, you want to express love to me, Pat? Just obey me. And so, I have to get, there's got to be a direct connection. I can't just say it in my mind or my heart and not do it or it's really, I'm, it's not happening. I'm kidding myself. I'm lying to myself. I love you, God. Sure you do, Pat. Do you want to try and build a more intense desire to pursue him? He promises to fill the gaps while you are working on that. He says hunger and thirst. And they will be filled. And so this passivity has got to go. Let me wrap this up. Angela Duckworth is a researcher and professor at the University of Pennsylvania. And she says that having passion and perseverance requires, quote, having a goal that you care about so much that it organizes and gives meaning to almost everything you do, unquote. Having a passion, it, it, it's, it's so big in me that it kind of focuses me, organizes me, and it affects everything I do. Pursuing God requires passion for Him. And perseverance, that's staying the course of what you initially started. In Luke 18, Jesus brought, uh, taught His disciples a parable about a widow who... Um, persistently went before this unjust judge and and was asking for relief and help and she just came in again and again and again and again and again and again and then again and again and again and again and again can you repeat the next thing i'm going to say logan again again she she just kept going and then in luke 18:7 in the first part of 8 it says And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. In other words, if I'm going to do this between this woman and this unjust judge, and he's going to yield and relent and do what's on her mind just because, you know, he's tired of hearing her, how much more is the Heavenly Father going to grant you as you pray 
as you seek him, as you pursue him. Jesus says, God will respond to those who cry out. Cry out, translated everywhere else in the Bible, means a shout, a war cry, or a roar. Does that, does that speak of your prayer life? If not, that's the intensity or passion that God is saying. Hey, just tell me what's really on your heart. And we wonder sometimes when we read the book of Psalms and we see David say these outlandish things. Where are you, God? Blah, 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 God. He's just opening up and being real with God. But did God meet with David? Yeah. So God's not going to get upset by you opening up and sharing your disappointments with him. Our Lord noted in the parable that this person cried day and night. Do you throw up a prayer one time? I, um, I remember, if, how many of you all have ever seen the Rocky movie? Rocky 1. When Rocky 1, he, he, he runs over to, he's, he's uh, a Catholic man. He runs over and he calls up to Father, I forget his name, um, the priest. And he calls up to him and he says, Hey, I'm getting ready to do this. Can you throw me down a blessing? And I always thought, that's, that's pretty funny. But at any rate, I can tell by y'all laughing. But, um, but the point is, is the day and night thing, just, you know, there was a relentlessness about pursuing God in prayer. We have a need and an opportunity. Do we just give a silent, passing, whispered prayer? God, I really need help with this test I'm about to take tomorrow. I just, just help me out. And, and then we go on with life. But it didn't have... Meaning, God, I'm trying to become who you called me to become. I need to not just pass the test. I need to know the stuff. Will you help me, God? Help me. Help me retain this stuff. If we really want to see revival, take a hold of our lives, our family, our church, and Central Florida, it will require passion, persistent, and pursuit of King Jesus. So as disciples here at Freedom, let's pursue him like he pursues us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time that you've brought to our attention. Our discipleship of are we really caring about following with you with a whole heart, with intensity, with passion, with persistence, not giving up. Father, I pray that you would move into our people's heart and lives, O oh God, that, that good enough is bad. God, help us to be all in for you. Help us be disciples that you can look at and say, there's my son, there's my daughter of freedom. I can use them in this situation. Nobody else is listening. God, help us be those people. Help us be that utility player on a team that the coach just puts in because they have a need. Oh God, help us to be as passionate towards you as we are for so many other things in our life. God, help us to pursue you because you have graciously pursued us. You have poured out so much for us, Lord. Help us actually discern what we're leaving behind by not pursuing you and your answers. Father, we want to pursue you with our love demonstrated by obedience. Father, we want to pursue you so we can hear you. We want to do what we hear 
instead of just let it reside in our heart. Father, I pray that you help us so that we can reach Central Florida, all these communities around here, for your glory, for your advancement, for people who are stuck in life, be they Christian or non-Christian, for people who don't know you, God. Help us care again. Help us feel again. Help us, Lord, not be so callous that our life is only about us and our families. Lord, our life, now that we're saved, is about your purposes, period. God, help us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit that we may understand the truths found in your word. Empower us with your Holy Spirit that we might walk boldly in the areas you've called us to walk, O God. Help us, Lord, not be satisfied to just go with the flow. Help us be satisfied with going with your flow. Lord, we humbly ask these things. I ask for a miracle of movement in our hearts. God, start with my heart. Lord, move us from this callous position that we'll get to it tomorrow to what can be done today for your glory. God, help us. Move us past this lethargy. Move us into action, Almighty God. We humbly and just, we ask. I ask for a mercy drop. Give us your mercy because we've been unmovable in this area, Lord. Help us, Lord, see truth and respond to truth. We pray this in the amazing name of Jesus. Amen. So I'm going to close with one request, and it's not coming forward today. The one request is, you've heard what the Lord had to say to you through His Word today. I'd ask you, I plead with you, find one beginning point, just one. One beginning point that demonstrates you're going to go after God. One first step in the three-foot step. What is that one? Share it with somebody that you know. Hey, I want you to kind of hold me accountable. This week I'm going to make this step here. Call me in a day or two and ask me, did I take step one? Just step one. I'm not going to change my whole life. I know. Step one. Can we do that? Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Pastor Stan has an announcement for us.